In the aftermath of this week's tumultuous debate, the Commission on Presidential Debates has announced it is changing the debate rules. The commission, which was first formed in Portugal in 1476 in the hopes there would one day be a country where a wild-eyed real estate developer could beat the living crap out of a sad old man while the entire population looked on in horror, then turned the channel to see what else was on, consists of five members who, according to the commission's charter, must include at least one lesbian, two dentists, a ballet dancer named Leopold, and a Romanian, all of them played by Chuck Todd. They meet in a secret fortress nestled in the specter-haunted crags of Mount Meaningless, where they are licensed by magic dwarves to craft the debate rules in such a way as to make both the rules and the debates themselves completely irrelevant. After this week's debacle, which the commission members considered one of their best, the commission issued the following amendments. One, from now on, whenever Donald Trump is making a good point anywhere in the country, Chris Wallace will jump out suddenly from various different locations and shout booga booga in an attempt to throw Trump off his game. Two, future debates will be moderated by Steve Scully and Kristen Welkin, except when Chris Wallace is required to jump out shouting booga booga. Three, next time, Joe Biden will have to allow everyone to hear the cues coming in over his secret headset. And to make that more entertaining, the cues will be sung to the score of the 1960 musical Camelot. Four, every 10 minutes, Donald Trump will be asked to denounce white supremacy until he just gets sick and tired of it and refuses, whereupon he will be denounced as a white supremacist, also to the score of the musical Camelot. In short, the next debate will be pretty much the same as the last one, except if ever I should leave you, will be sung this time in the key of G. <laughs> Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, we are back before the last show before the Clavenless weekend. Uh, I do want to tell you that uh, next week I have to do something uh, on Monday. So I won't have a show Monday, but I will have a show on Friday. That means more of you will perish during the Clavenless weekend. It will be longer. But those of you who survive will then have a shorter uh, Clavenless weekend some other time. Uh, who knows? But th- anyway, I won't be on on Monday. I will be on on Friday. This is a good time to go over to YouTube, my Andrew Claven channel, and subscribe. We already have, I think, over 175,000 uh, subscribers, and we are working to get 70 gazillion. So please go tell your friends, your children, force your children to subscribe. They won't, please, Daddy, don't make yes, subscribe, subscribe. Like, that, that will help the, uh, the numbers, and that's what we care about. And then press the thing that rings the bell, and then your children will actually have my show appear in their bedroom uh, in the middle of the night, giving them nightmares. Uh, also, please, please leave a comment. And if the comment is ridiculous enough, we will read it on the air uh, to raise the level of the conversation. Today we have from Mickey G. He says, this morning, I was listening to, my, uh, to Clavin on my front porch when he said, rock auto, all the women in my neighborhood came running outside. That This both exhilarated me and scared me to near death. I quickly made my way inside my home, locking the doors and setting the alarm. For the next two hours, the women wandered the neighborhood searching for the sound they had heard. I hid in the closet in a fetal position, ready to dial 911. That's actually uh, what the CDC recommends. And Anthony Fauci says you should not come out of the closet uh, until 2025, 
when possibly the women will have calmed down. Uh, so here's something weird. I'm going to be talking about something weird today. It's something weird I just noticed about leftist ideas. In order to believe them, in order to believe leftist ideas, you need an almost complete lack of imagination. When you think about that, it's sort of strange that a political philosophy that dominates our creative community requires you to stop using your creative faculty to game out the probable results of its policies. So, for instance, take slavery reparations, which we're talking about in California now, which wasn't even a slave state. If for even two minutes in a row you sit down and ask yourself, what would actually happen if you gave every black American a bunch of money? Would you envision an end to racial problems and racial tension? Would there be less crime in black neighborhoods and poor black neighborhoods? Would the individuals in those neighborhoods who live dysfunctional lives suddenly pull their acts together because somebody handed them a check for, for nothing, essentially? Do you think race hustlers like Al Sharpton and Ibram Kendi would suddenly say, OK, that's paid. Let's move on to other subjects. Of course not. It would only be the beginning of more demands and more imaginative ways for them to keep this race game alive. What about climate change? What do you think would really happen if we got rid of fossil fuels? What do you think that life would look like? Just imagine it for a couple of minutes. Would the rich, do you think, if you use your imagination, would they give up their cars and planes and boats? Or would they find loopholes and just tell you it's the little people who have to give up those things? Would climate change suddenly screech to a halt and reverse? If we suddenly got rid of uh, all our fossil fuels, or would we be living in primitive poverty and the temperatures would just climb up a little bit, climb down a little bit, I should say. What would happen if you actually had socialism? I mean, we don't even have to imagine that, but you can imagine it. You could use your imagination. Would billionaires turn over their wealth to the collective or would they just leave town? Would you build a wall to stop them from leaving town? They've tried that. What would you do to people who said, you know what? We don't like socialism. Socialism is bad and we can prove it. You'd have to silence them. You send them to the gulags. Those are always a good idea. It's just a funny thing to think about that in order to be a leftist, you have to first imagine that the problems of race today, if there are serious problems that have to do with just race, you have to imagine that those are the result of slavery. You have to imagine that the climate is changing at catastrophic speeds because of human action. You have to imagine that socialism will suddenly make people economically equal for the first time in human history. And after you imagine all of that, you just have to shut down your imagination altogether. So why am I talking about this? The reason I'm talking about this is because we're now in the spin cycle of the debate, right? This is where everyone comes out and tries to frame the debate, tries to tell you what happened. You were watching the debate to your for a punishment for some sin you committed in another life. Nothing you've done in this life could possibly have required you to watch that debate, but possibly your karma has now come back. So you watch the debate, you know what happened, you saw what happened. Why are people talking about it? Why are they selling you something? Well, the imagination is the faculty in which we shape events, right? Events are just things happening. One thing happens after another. Trump says something, Biden says something, Chris Wallace says something. But what does it all mean? That is shaped in your imagination. And that that's true of just about everything. Your, your marriage, your, your life, your morality, it's all a shape that you give to reality. Reality is just reality. It's just sitting there. And this is why the left thinks that narrative is truth. They believe this. This is part of their philosophy. They think if they can shape the public's imagination in a certain way, then that becomes the truth. That's why it's not enough for somebody to say, you know, I, I'm a man, but I, I feel so feminine. I feel like a woman. You have got to be forced to agree with them. You have to be forced to use the pronoun they want you to use. You have to be forced to say, yes, that's what a, a woman is. A woman is someone who thinks he's a woman. You know, that's never mind the beard and that he doesn't have a womb. Never mind any of that. 
That's why they actually think that the imagination is where reality takes place instead of what conservatives, or I would just say sane people think, that the imagination shapes things in certain ways, but it has to shape them in keeping with a reality that is both seen and unseen. I'll talk about something, just a, a little bit of a tangent here. If you watch, if you ever read Dostoevsky, you read Crime and Punishment about a man who thinks he can do anything he wants, he kills somebody, and then he is haunted by the furies of his conscience until he really has to confront what he's done. Then you look at Woody Allen, who's made a couple of movies like Match Point and Crimes and Misdemeanors, which are answers to Dostoevsky. That's what they're intentionally about, in which a person commits a murder and doesn't care and gets away with it and it's fine. You know, what does he care? He has no conscience. What Woody Allen is saying is if you don't feel the guilt, the guilt isn't there. What Dostoevsky is saying is no, there is a moral reality. Your conscience, if it's working right, perceives that moral reality and reacts to it. Those are the differences between the two philosophies. Woody Allen is like, says, thinks, well, if you're colorblind, there's no such thing as color. Dostoevsky says, no, the color is there. You just can't see it. And he's talking about reality and moral reality. So this is what's happening. You know, we saw what happened. We know what happened. And yet people want to have their imagination shaped and they want the commentary to take the shape of their imagination. And this is the important part. It's not just the news media. We blame the news media. We blame the culture. But all of us, right and left, are participating with them in what happened. Now, you remember... Yesterday, I was talking about Fox News. I was talking about Sean Hannity. It was not a knock on Sean. I think it's important that there's a Sean Hannity when everybody else is the anti-Hannity, right? But Sean, you went on the Sean Hannity show, and he told you, if you were a Trump fan, he told you what you wanted to hear. He told you, what a great debate. What a wonderful debate. And if you went on everybody else, they were saying it wasn't a great debate. Clearly, people who already feel a certain way, who already agree with Hannity or who agree with Trump, want to watch Hannity. They want him to feed their imagination, their imaginative structure. The people who disagree want to watch all the other channels where they're telling, well, let me show you what they're telling. Here, here is the way the networks framed the debate yesterday. It was cut four. It is hard to find the words to describe what we saw on that debate stage last night. Well, one word comes to mind. How about disgrace? Mm. It was an absolute disgrace. It was a mockery of a presidential debate, an insult to our democracy. This was a disaster. It is already being called the worst debate in modern history. Any substance was completely overshadowed by the president's interrupting. The Trump campaign is trying to say that the president put in a strong performance. The RNC went so far as to say, quote, President Trump made a confident, commanding and compelling case for his re-election. But Robin, nobody really believes that. Amazing disgrace. The first presidential debate of the season descends into chaos, insult, interruption, and confusion. A lot of words being used by Republicans and Democrats alike to describe none of it good, embarrassing, disgraceful, a train wreck. This thing quickly deteriorated. A debate focused on the highest office in the land reaching a new low. All right. So they, they saw, now, listen, some of that is fact. The debate was chaos. If you compare it, I, I, I mean, other debates have been chaos. The Lincoln-Douglas debates were not as polite as people think they were, you know, but it was chaos. And I would even go further and say that they are correct, that it is Donald Trump who instigated the chaos by constantly interrupting. That is also uh, that's also the case. We'll we'll show you how that's spun on both sides. But the, the idea that that it was Donald, the, the disgrace was Donald Trump interrupting, which I would say that's fine. 
but not Joe Biden lying and ducking and not answering questions. And that Joe Biden was somehow like a little, you know, he was a little innocent lamb. Yesterday, I called the show Sluggo Muggs Grandpa, you know, like that, that Trump was this bully. But Joe Biden was just this kind of innocent old man who happened to be walking by the debate stage when Trump went off on him. You know, that's that's the part where they're trying to to shape your mind. That's why, you know, the, I, I was not, I was joking about the debate commission, which is this antiquated, ridiculous idea that should be gotten rid of. But, but the division, the commission that oversees the, these debates said it will make changes to the format of the remaining two debates. And this, according to CBS, one key change it plans to implement cutting off the microphones of Trump and Biden if they break the rules. This is according to sources, an anonymous report. Now think about that for a minute. Again, use your imagination. How's that going to go well? How is it possible? How is it possible that it won't be used against Donald Trump? How is it possible that they're not going to uh, go after Trump, who is more aggressive? He is more aggressive, but aggression is part of a debate. You want that part of a debate. But how is it possible they're not going to be cutting off his mic every two seconds? They are. And, uh, you know, maybe that would be good for Trump. Maybe it would show people just how uh, vicious they are. Although I don't know if that's the case. I'm not sure uh, whether people have um, the sympathy for Trump that would, would make them understand what the media was doing. So let's take a look at Trump. Trump spins the debate his way, and maybe it was a part of his strategy to be this aggressive. I suspect personally that there was no strategy. I suspect personally that basically his team said to him, be aggressive, which was like saying to a pit bull, here's some meat. You know, you, you don't need to tell Trump to be aggressive. But here's how he's spinning it. This is cut 10. Last night, I did what the corrupt media has refused to do. I held Joe Biden accountable for his 47 years of lies, 47 years of betrayal, and 47 years of failure. I held Joe accountable for shipping your jobs and dreams abroad and for bowing to the violent mob at home. Can you imagine these people, the way they take over these Democrat cities? I don't even believe it. <laughs> so obviously he's saying he held him accountable. It was you know aggression. He said later on his show that he was too weak to deal with Putin, essentially saying, if you can't deal with me, you're not going to be able to deal with the tough world leaders. Here's Joe Biden spinning it his way. This is cut 11. For 90 minutes, uh, uh, he tried everything to distract, everything possible. And it just uh, it just didn't work. The president of the United States conducting himself the way he did, um, I think it was just a, a national embarrassment. You know, it, it's funny. I, I've spent most of my life and I still am a novelist. That's basically what I do. I tell stories, right? I make up stories that are supposed to present a vision of the world that gives you an in-depth uh, look at the world. The reason we read stories, I think, is we get some kind of sense of the human uh, condition, what, they, what it's like to be a human being in the world. In order to do what I do, I have to use my imagination. But in order to use my imagination to depict reality, I have to first try to understand reality. And in order to do that, I have to clear away all of the spin. I have to clear away everything that I believe in as deeply as I possibly believe in. And I have to just throw it out. I have to understand what the other side thinks. I have to understand what other people think. I have to understand what evil people think, because that too is part of the world. And then I try to present all that not without my vision, but, but without my opinion, which is a totally different thing. It is my vision that there is a moral universe. It is my vision uh, that freedom is better than slavery, that giving a beggar bread is better than uh, killing a child. Those are, those are parts of my vision. But 
I try to leave out my opinions about who does those things and who, which political side uh, is basically uh, where, where good and evil lies, because sometimes you don't know those things. So you try and clear your vision first before you use your imagination. In politics, and this is one of the things that makes me very uncomfortable with politics, in politics, it's the other way around. It's people trying to cling to their uh, point of view so that they can shape their point of shape events according to their point of view. The right does this just the same as the left. And the news media is there. Basically, this is why it's so wrong what the news media does. The news media should be there to force you to listen to both sides, to force you to open your mind a little bit and say, oh, I see it from both sides. But they don't. So here are some reactions from the polls. Uh, this was a thing that um, they took a sample of voters who recorded their moment-by-moment -moment reactions uh, to the candidates in a survey, survey known as a dial test. You've seen these things where they turn the dials back and forth. It was interesting that men uh, approved of President Trump's calls to reopen businesses and schools while women were more skeptical. And independent voters liked Mr. Trump's emphasis on putting Americans back to work. But they also liked Biden's promise to rescind the president's 2017 tax cuts. I'd be surprised by that if they actually, if most voters want to rescind those tax cuts. Uh, maybe they've bought into the Democrat story that they're only for the rich. Democrats always say that about tax cuts because tax cuts always in real dollars uh, benefit the rich, but they actually benefit everybody. The only thing about tax cuts is when you cut taxes, you got to cut spending. And that is something that neither Trump nor any Democrat or any Republican has ever even tried to do uh, since the Reagan years. Independents whose reactions are uh, are shown on, they have a graph, There's they show the graph. Independents um, reacted positively when Trump said the economy was rebounding. And the, the economy has been rebounding. There are always danger signs, but the economy has been rebounding. Men were more eager to cheer talk of reopening. Uh, and the insults, uh, you're the worst president America has. Many voters seem to say knock it off. Many voter groups had a negative reaction to the uh, shut ups and the uh, insults. Women and young voters were among the most negative of all. By the way, I should point out that Rasmussen, the poll, this is before the debate. Rasmussen has Trump down in the general election now. For a while, Rasmussen had them running neck and neck. But after the appointment or the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, uh, they Rasmussen had what all the other polls show was in the general election, Trump down by 8%. This is really an interesting thing. Because the idea with this debate is that it hurts Trump because he's down in the polls. That's that's kind of what I thought. I thought, well, I thought it was a wash. Biden was weak and he lied. Trump was super aggressive and didn't always uh, articulate his ideas well. So it was kind of a wash. But a wash is bad for the guy who's down in the polls, right? If you are down in the polls, you want to make a comeback. You want to really crush them. Molly Hemingway, I don't usually play other um uh, other commentators, but Molly Hemingway had a comment that was really original. Let's listen to this, 23. President Trump came out with a statement saying that they want to change the rules because he pummeled Joe Biden. And I think a lot of people are saying that, that Trump pummeled Biden. And the conventional wisdom is that this is bad because you're trying to reach out to independent voters and you're trying to broaden the base. But it's possible that people are reading everything completely wrong, that this election isn't about reaching out to independent voters because there aren't that many of them out there. Instead, it's about getting people to vote, getting people on your side to vote. And that's where this debate looks very different. Joe Biden failed to make the case for himself. He failed to, he already has an enthusiasm gap. Meanwhile, Donald Trump came out. He was coming out hard. He's coming out hard on a lot of issues that people care about. That's, that's an interesting idea. That's really an original take on it, that this is purely a turnout election and enthusiasm is going to make all the difference. We, we'll have to see about that, but it is, it is a different way of looking at it. So, 
The advantage, of course, of course, that Joe Biden and the Democrats have is that they can play. They have the press. They have the echo chamber so they can make their argument and the press will make the argument uh, right along with them and it will echo them. And, and people uh, who want to believe it, believe it. And people who just, you know, a lot of this because a lot of this has to do with women and women don't like Trump. They don't like his aggression. They don't like his rudeness. It just this is just the numbers. Uh, they don't like the way he behaves. And I, and I would think, you know, having known a couple of women in my life, I mean, I, I can really see that that would be the case. Um, but, but that is the question like, so, so it is the question they, women are the ones who are more likely to want to hear, to have already shaped their opinion of Trump negatively and to want to hear the negative opinions of Trump. So they have that advantage. And of course, as I said yesterday, the big thing was this white supremacist thing. This, this really does drive me kind of crazy because the one thing Trump is not is he's not a white supremacist. He's a little slow on the uptake to criticize people who are on his side. You know, that, that was one of the problems he had in the first campaign where he didn't immediately condemn the Ku Klux Klan. But, but the idea that Donald Trump, this New Yorker, who's won the NAACP awards, who brags about how well he's done for uh, the for black Americans economically, who brags about uh, the things that he does for all the people. And so, and he talks about all the people. The, the idea that he this guy's a white supremacist is really kind of nuts. But this is what Biden is selling. And he has a new ad out. Here's the ad is cut 14. Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups yeah. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right wing. So what are you, what are you, you, look, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. You want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right like me to condemn? White proud supremacists boys. and right proud, proud boys. Stand back and stand by. So that's and then they print. If you're just listening, not watching, they print out some of the reactions from the Proud Boys, who, again, are a far right organization. I'm not a big fan of the Proud Boys. However, uh, they are not white supremacists. They actually do invite. They're just men. They just want to have men. Uh, they have an old fashioned idea of a traditional idea of men and women, and they think the organization should be a boys club. But they don't care what color the boys are. Uh, and so it's just kind of weird that Proud Boys were the one that came into his mind. And Coulter has repeatedly said that the Proud Boys, because they do have this kind of street uh, thug attitude about things, they're kind of out there to answer the thuggishness of BLM and Antifa, which is even worse, of course. But she says they've protected her at a number of riots that have gone on. And when she goes, turns out to speak. And of course, it's only when right wingers turn up to speak in campuses that there are riots and that there is danger. Uh, I, I do not like street violence of any stripe. I hate people going out there and, uh, you know, taking over the streets. But you got to admit that the Proud Boys are not the threat in Kenosha. They're saying uh they have that guy, Kyle Rittenhouse, who shot people in, at the Kenosha riots. He was in that ad uh, when they mentioned Kenosha and his lawyer says he's suing because he's not a white supremacist either. And just just to show you this, here is Donald Trump answering this question about white supremacy again and again and again over the years going back to 2016. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, 
because they should be condemned totally. We are a nation founded on the truth that all of us are created equal. We are equal in the eyes of our Creator. We are equal under the law. And we are equal under our Constitution. Those who spread violence in the name of bigotry strike at the very core of America. How many times do I have to reject? I've rejected David Duke, rejected David Duke. Uh, I've rejected the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. From the time I'm five years old, I rejected them. Now, I have been asked this question so many times. I have rejected it so many times. It, it's really a fair question. I mean, does it have like a sell-by date? Does he, if he doesn't renew this, uh, this objection to white supremacy every 10 minutes, does it suddenly, he turns into a Klansman? I mean, is that, you know, it wasn't, wasn't him who was at Robert Byrd's funeral. Robert Byrd used to be in the Klan. It was Joe Biden. You know, you know the, the most dispiriting thing about this, uh, the, the most dishonest take has been from Fox News. I got to say, we'd like to take a moment. Here's the Fox News uh, leadership putting out a letter. We want to congratulate Chris Wallace for moderating last night's extraordinary debate. We're extremely proud of his professionalism, skill and fortitude in a unique situation while doing everything possible to hold both candidates ac accountable. No moderator could have managed a debate of that magnitude better than Chris, which is really <laughs> depressing thought that there was nobody because, I, you know, I probably didn't say this clearly enough yet. He sucked. <laughs> he, was, he was terrible. He was one-sided. He clearly lost it about halfway through. I mean, it clearly he got worse and worse as he got angrier and angrier at Trump. I mean, here is, here's Wallace uh, talking about it, sort of celebrating. Uh, he's, he has a spin of his own. Uh, what, what does he say? He says, I never thought it would go off the rails like that, you know, that way, which is it's just ridiculous because he, he started out by giving them this broad, open-minded, uh, open-ended question why are you right and the other guy's wrong? What did he think was going to happen? It's just, it's just inviting a brawl. And then once he lost control of it, uh, he had no way of getting it back, which is what happens to anybody. But he just he just did a bad job. It's entire. The whole thing is entirely on him. And Trump, you know, it's really interesting. <laughs> Fox has gone all in on Trump. You know, Fox decided that Trump was their guy and they were going to stick with him. So now they're on. It's like the New York Times. It's like the New York Times. The New York Times is all in on the left. It is not going to say anything that offends the left. They're just not going to say it. They don't run op-eds that would offend the left. They don't have any opinions. They don't have any point of view. Every article they say about Trump is like the headline. I used to laugh about this in English newspapers, which are openly partisan. But the headline is like Trump, that idiot, lies about something that we disagree with him. And that's the headline in the New, in the New York Times because they have just decided our audience is the progressives. That's all we're playing to. Fox decided that Trump is the progressive and, and Trump has talked about is is attacking Wallace, who was attacking Wallace yesterday uh, and, and linking him to Fox. Here's that cut. Did you see last night? Name one. I said, Sleepy Joe, name one law enforcement group that supports you. And then Chris Wallace says, don't do that. That's not. Can you believe this guy? I was debating two people last night. Can you go to church? No. Can you go to restaurants? No. Can you do anything? No, but you can riot. That's OK. Arson's OK, but challenging Sleepy Joe is totally off limits. Uh, so disappointed in Fox. So, so he's he's right to say this because it is true. I mean, the conservatives only have one friendly news channel, I guess, OAN now, which is a mini Fox. But they only have one channel that actually has the news gathering capability of Fox, and it's Fox. So Fox, you know, serves that 
audience. And if you go on their news programs, there are more, there are more liberals on Fox on any given day than there are on most stations during uh, than there are conservatives on most stations in any given week. I mean, there are more people who have a left wing point of view getting their chance to talk on Fox than people who have a right wing point of view getting their chance to talk anywhere in the rest of the media. So Fox is much, much more fair. And that's and that's something that some people think is wrong, right? They think, well, the New York Times would never do... Listen, on CNN, they won't even let you talk if you disagree. They won't. They don't even want their audience to hear it. Hogan uh, Gidley, who is what a Trump spokesman, he goes on and he tries to explain that it really is Biden who has been the more racist character over the years. They won't even let him get his point in. Do you have any idea, John, what an exalted cyclops of the KKK is? Because Joe Biden sure does. He spoke at a funeral for one and praised him profusely. Any idea who George Wallace is? Joe Biden sure does. Yeah. He thanks the person who gave him the award for George Wallace's name. Any idea what a racial jungle is? It's what Joe Biden doesn't want his kids to grow up in. Joe Biden's record on race is absolutely disgusting. Donald Trump was opening up his properties to African-Americans and Jewish people. While you were still in local television Joe news, John, you know, one the thing fact Hogan, is this one president Hogan, has a record of respect Hogan, and Hogan, understanding Hogan, these groups Hogan, like nobody Hogan, else. I'm Hogan, sorry, I'm not going to sit here Hogan, and let you call the president Joe Biden of the United can States a racist when he is the only one. He is Joe Biden can defend his own record. He can defend his own relationships and he did in the past. Not true. You remember Dr. Strangelove? You can't fight in here, gentlemen. This is the war room. Well, on CNN, is you can't tell the truth in here. This is the newsroom. <laughs> it's the same thing. What's really interesting about this, Kaylee McEnany, just this morning, was pointing out things that Trump had said, just quoting Trump. And this reporter will not stop. And she, Kaylee McEnany, I was going to make this point myself, but she made it for me. And she's much better looking and she does it better. So we'll let her play as cut 26. He's continually condemned it, and it is really record on this. Again, John's really question is mixed. He has condemned it. it, it he's equivocated at times. He said he didn't want to acknowledge it or address it. His record is very mixed on this issue. His record is not mixed in the slightest. And when you go back in history, you can see that right here. When you go back in history, you can see that Jesse Jackson it's has mixed. praised the president as someone who served underserved communities. This president with Mar-a-Lago, it was the first Palm Beach club open to African-Americans and Jews. Um, and in fact, his record he is was, mixed. He has he not been praised. consistent on the issue of white supremacy. So I'm asking you, what has this White House done quite to combat it is what quite the FBI shameful. says is one of the deadliest threats Paula, in this country? We're not having a debate on a cable you're, news you're, you're, right now. You're saying that he condemns finish. it. I have his record right here. It's you mixed. need to let me finish. His record it's is mixed. quite funny that the media goes haywire about interrupting in debates and then chooses to pursue that very same tactic themselves. This is a White House briefing. You ask a question and you give me time to answer. Um, it, amazing. Um, it, just amazing. I mean, that, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. And she's quoting, she's quoting Trump. She's telling him the facts. It's like, no facts, no facts. I've got my narrative going on. They think that their narrative changes reality. And that is why they do not want anybody, anybody else to talk. All right. Well, let's take a look at something else. Another narrative uh, glitch in the world in the world of reality. It's like this little static comes in to, to the world of the uh, of the ma- mainstream media and they have to keep it out. Was uh, Comey was yesterday was um, was testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And th- this was this was really something because it's almost like almost nobody played it. James Comey was called up before the Senate Judiciary Committee and it was really uh questioned very strenuously about the investigation, crossfire hurricane, into Trump's 
theoretical non-existent collusion with the Russians during the campaign. And the questioning was, was really tough. And it, it really is slowly coming out bit by bit that this thing was a goat rodeo. You know, this was a terrible, terrible thing that they did to the president of the United States, probably with Obama's consent. I've got a break here. So go on to dailywire.com and subscribe and get an all access subscription so we can talk to you later on. And also you can be in the mailbag and all your problems will be solved. There's a new letter out uh, from the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, uh, where he wrote to Lindsey Graham, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, uh, saying that in late July 2016, American intelligence agencies obtained insight into an analysis by Russian spies, which alleged that Democratic U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton had approved a plan, a plan to stir up a scandal against her Republican opponent, Donald Trump. The plan involved tying Trump to Putin and the Russians hacking of the Democratic National Committee. OK, so if that's true, that's a bombshell. That's saying that Hillary Clinton actually planned as a means of distracting people from the scandal about her emails, that she actually planned this Russian collusion scandal. Now, I have to say, again, on the right, this was immediately accepted as gospel truth. And even, even Ratcliffe says, we don't know if this is true. It comes from Russian spies. So obviously they were being bugged or something like that. And they got this intelligence from Russian spies. So I don't know if this is true or not. I mean, if it's true, we should find out if it was true. But, you know, it's like on the one hand, they won't report it. The, the left won't report it. And on the other hand, the right just instantly believes it because it fits in with our narrative. And that and that's the kind of thing I'm trying to avoid on this show. It's, it's very difficult because everybody wants to hear what they already want to hear. They want to hear what they already imagine. They want their imaginations not to be disturbed. But but the coverage of the Comey test of, uh, testimony was remarkable because it almost didn't exist. And Comey was called up in front of these guys and he was slapped around pretty good. And it was really... Um, it was really an embarrassment, especially to this guy who's paraded himself as the conscience of the nation. Here is Lindsey uh, Graham asking him how he feels, how he felt about the, the investigation. They hired a foreign agent on the payroll of the Democratic Party who hired a Russian spy to create a document that was absolutely full of misinformation and complete lies. Did you know there is no Russian consulate in Miami? And the dossier mentions that there was one. Shouldn't the court have been told that part of the dossier is not reliable? Do you also know that Michael Cohen's adventures in Prague never happened? The dossier uh, asserts that Michael Cohen went to Prague on some venture for Trump in Russia, and it never happened. And they know it never happened. They had information from a foreign government saying it's not true. And they never told the court. They never corrected all the misinformation in the dossier. It was used over and over again. And they never told the court about how unreliable it was. <laughs> Comey says, yeah, never mind that. It's cut 19. How would you rank, rate the crossfire hur hurricane investigation in terms of being done thoroughly? by the book, an investigation the FBI should be proud of? I, I'm not sure I can apply a number scale, but I would say in the main, it was done by the book. It was appropriate and it was essential that it be done. Okay. So you're proud of it. 
overall, I'm proud of the work. There are parts of it that are concerning, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But overall, I'm proud of the work. Now, there's a reason Comey feels that way is because he can't remember any of it. Here is a Grabian montage of the number of times Comey, uh, this, you know, I'm sure you know this already, but just in case you don't, when you're on under oath, when you're on the stand, you swear to tell the truth and it's perjury if you don't. So when people want to to lie or leave something out, they say, I can't remember because there's no way to prove that you can remember. So I can't recall. That's what the reason you hear people say, I can't recall because it's not perjury to say, I can't recall because how can somebody prove that you could recall? So here is a Grabian montage of this guy acting essentially like a gangster. I don't remember. That's about all I recall. I don't remember that. I don't remember learning anything additional about Steele's sources. Not that I recall, no. I don't remember Bruce or okay. ever briefing okay. me. You're, I don't recall that. So do you recall? I do not. Do you recall? I do not. I don't remember any discussion. I don't remember using that word, but I don't remember using that word. I don't remember ever being informed. I don't recall being informed of that. Did you ask any questions or do any due diligence on this at all? I don't remember anything about the, the facts that have been revealed recently about the subsource. It's just like he was the janitor in the FBI building. He ran the investigation. He was running the investigation on which these FISA warrants were gotten with a steel dossier that was completely now, we see, disinformation. That we may, It may have been that this was a, a Hillary op, but it was certainly not something that the FBI believed in. They knew that, this, that they were bugging Trump's people on disinformation. They knew that. What I love about this is while this is going on, I think it's HBO is running their movie of the Comey rule, which is Comey's autobiography with Jeff Daniels playing Comey as this rigid uh, kind of a pastor like figure who stands up for the truth no matter what happens. Here is Jeff Daniels discussing his his actually insights into the mind and heart of, of James Comey. He's a guy that believes in the rule of law. Uh, he th- looks at that as something bigger than he is, as he, the same thing with the institutions such as the FBI. Uh, he believes in protecting the integrity of the FBI. And, and those things matter to him like people's religion matters to them and their God matters to him. There's a sacredness to it. <laughs> he believes in the rule of law. It's sacred. He just can't remember what it is. I have no recollection of the rule of law. I have no recollection of what, what's in the rule. I know there's a rule of law, but I can't remember what it is. Let me just, uh, just end this with Ted because again, this is fighting for your imagination. They are fighting for your imagination of James Comey. They know more people will watch the HBO movie than will watch that testimony. They know more people will see what Jeff Daniels thinks you know, not an untalented actor, a guy who, what Jeff Daniels thinks of James Comey, that he lives in this real sacred religion of the rule of law, then watch James Comey act like a third rate gangster saying, I don't recall. No, I don't know. I didn't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't looking. I went to the bathroom at that moment. Here is uh, Ted Cruz really giving it to him. Maybe this is closer to the truth than what the actor said. Let's cut 22. This investigation of the president was corrupt. The FBI and the Department of Justice were politicized and weaponized. And in my opinion, there are only two possibilities. That you were deliberately corrupt or woefully incompetent. And I don't believe you were incompetent. This has done severe damage to the professionals and the honorable men and women at the FBI because law enforcement should not be used as a political weapon. And that is the legacy you've left. Well, 
the one thing the left is right about is if you can convince people, if you can convince people's imagination to see what isn't there, then they will act on that illusion that it becomes the truth is where they have made a terrible mistake, but they're doing everything they can to manipulate your imagination so that you see what they want you to see. Let me just close out with one more remark that Comey made, because it really was an important one. He just went after uh, Donald Trump. He obviously just hates Donald Trump with a passion, which, by the way, was not his job. It was not his job to decide on the moral heart of Donald Trump. But he just uh, attacked him in this really interesting comment. This is cut 17 about racism and Donald Trump. Cut 17. In the basement of our amazing country has always been a small amount of radioactive stew. And we've controlled that racist stew with law and with culture. And when the president of the United States starts talking in that way about that kind of group, he's pulling out of that radioactive stew the control rods that we've used for 50 years to suppress racist violence. It is a deeply disturbing development. And I hope no matter what your politics are, you see it the same way. That's <laughs> first of all, well, you know, play play Mike Lee's reaction to that. Mike Lee had a reaction. This is after the hearing uh, that he talked about that. Let's play Mike Lee's reaction. What did you get from him? Very, very little other than his ongoing old school caterwauling and blatant antipathy toward the current president of the United States. Antipathy that I would add is not born in fact. It's it's based on an unarticulated suspicion or hunch. It's based on his mood. He blatantly accused the president of the United States, even in that hearing yesterday, of horrible things without any evidence, even after acknowledging he didn't know what he was talking about when he signed the certification to the FISA court. You know, uh, obviously, this is the kind of conflict between conservatives and the left, with conservatives saying that the facts matter. It's not that conservatives don't think that, I, I certainly think that feelings matter and your perception matters and your engagement with the facts is unique. It's what makes you unique is your engagement with the facts. However, we think the facts have to be established first. Whereas what Comey was essentially saying there is here in America, we have this radioactive stew of racism bubbling beneath the surface. And we control it with law and with culture. And when Donald Trump does not conform to the culture of the left, when he does not conform to the norms that have been established by the cultural, the culturally dominant people in this, uh, in, in America, who is the left, when he does not conform, he is pulling out the stops and allowing that radioactive stew to overflow. That's not true. That's not the case. People have sinful hearts. They have corrupt and broken hearts. They have hatred in their hearts. This is not true in America. This is true on every planet, continent, every piece of land, anywhere where human beings walk. They find ways to hate each other. If they hate each other because of race, they hate each other because of race. They hate each other because of their different sexes. They hate each other for all kinds of reasons. They hate each other because one person has more money than the other person. They hate each other because they're hateful. They hate each other because they just don't look like the look in your eye. That is true. And that and that does have to be suppressed. And we suppress it by shaping our imaginations in a different way. How do we shape our imaginations? Is it to the left? Is it to these guys like who are selling us this idea? What, what was the idea that uh, Ibran Kendi says? He says there's no such thing as no racism. There's only racism and anti-racism. But anti-racism, if you read his, his writing, anti-racism looks exactly like racism just turned on white people. It's just the other way around. 
Whereas we did have, and we still have, an idea in this country, the idea that actually keeps that radioactive stew, not of America, the radioactive stew of humanity, of broken humanity, that keeps it under control, is the idea, is the idea that actually all men are created equal. Actually, all men are created morally equal and equal in the eyes of the law. That nobody, by the blood in his body, is condemned uh, to be an awful person. That is just because it, that's true. It's just not true. And the thing is, that's an imaginative idea that is in keeping with the truth. It's just true that all men are created in the image of God and equal. And if that's the idea you're operating on. Yes, you start to say, oh, yeah, oh, I did have a, a, an evil thought there. But you know what? I'm going to let that thought go. I'm going to remember. I'm going to live by my lights. I'm going to live not by my feelings. I'm going to live by my lights. Comey is talking about something entirely different. And he's talking about something that the left has been selling us now for 60 years. And it's just false that America is somehow especially evil and that only this leftist idea of anti-racism, of blaming ourselves, of constant uh, reparations, of constant guilt, of constant shame is going to change that. That's nonsense. We are just the same as other human beings for, with one difference. We have great ideas. We have the great idea that all men are created equal. And that's the idea that we should be living into every day, all of us everywhere, instead of this nonsense that the left has suddenly created that is just racism with a smiley face. That's all it ever is. The devil does not care who does the hating as long as the hating gets done. That's where the left has gone wrong. That's where I got to stop. Like I said, no show on Monday, but I will be back on Tuesday and work through Friday. So enjoy the Clavenless weekend, the wailing, the gnashing of teeth, the darkness, the monsters. God, it's awful. But survivors gather here on Tuesday for the Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.